I think the CIO role is getting increasingly tough. Um, I think the speed and the scale of change has been quite phenomenal in the last two to three years. Mm. But when I think back to the beginning of 2023, I was doing a, a, a set of um, CIO thought leadership talks around Europe. January, February, we were talking about transformation. We were talking about um, this this so-called new digital world, IoT, <laughs> cybersecurity. Nobody mentioned AI particularly. Yes. Nobody mentioned it. Then suddenly in March, I'm due to do another set. And it's, oh, my gosh. I've got to talk about AI because that's on everybody's lips and not just AI that perhaps I'm familiar with, but generative AI. Yes. And what is that really going to mean to people? Oh, and by the way, I've got to sound like I know more than they know. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. <laughs> Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. Today's guest on Headstock is a seasoned professional with over 30 years experience in the oil and gas industry. As a distinguished member of the RDS IT executives, his influence extends across international territories, including South Africa, the US, Saudi Arabia, Dubai and Colombia. A renowned speaker and subject matter expert, he brings a wealth of knowledge to the discussion on the role of the Chief Information Officer, CIO. Drawing from his extensive experience in this pivotal position, he will share intriguing case studies from his past while offering valuable insights into the future trajectory of the CIO role. This promises to be an engaging and enlightening conversation. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. Axia OneCloud provides secure, geo-redundant backup capabilities enhanced with cybersecurity. It is the world's only cloud-integrating cyber protection with Atlassian products, trusted to accelerate digital transformation by the best organizations around the globe. You can secure your data confidently with protection of more than 20 workload types. Discover what backup and data protection capabilities you gain with the Axia One Cyber Protect Cloud. Harness the power of one solution, one agent, and one console. It delivers the comprehensive cyber protection you seek. Laxia operates over 20 cyber secure data centers across the globe. For more information, contact us at www.laxia.com. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter. Craig Walker currently serves as the Senior Vice President in the Office of CEO at Salesforce, bringing a wealth of experience to his role. Prior to joining Salesforce, Craig held key positions in the energy sector. In his current position, Craig focuses on effective team management and building strong relationships with suppliers on a global scale. Let's begin. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Craig back to Heads Talk. It's a pleasure to have you here again. It's a pleasure to be here, Elaine. Very nice to speak to you. Excellent. Okay. Well, um, it's no big secret uh, that Craig's first episode was a, a one of if not my favourite episode on Heads Talk. It was such an animated, packed with content conversation. And at the time, I, I was so appreciative of the dialogue. So no pressure there, Craig. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's let's gently start with you. Um, just if you can, um, provide a, a brief update on your role, current activities and any new passions within the business. Okay. Community. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you again for welcoming me back. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I retired from Shell. Um, uh, they uh, they retire you at that uh, magical age of sixty, uh, whatever <laughs> you've been doing. So I completed that last global CIO role for all of Shell's downstream businesses in uh, April of 2020. And um, of course, we were in the middle of lockdown, uh, COVID. So uh, the kind of standing joke is I managed to retire for eight hours because I had said to Salesforce, well, I'd like a few months off, please. I've been working for 38 years. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, sure, of course. But then, of course, came the question. So what are you going to do now? So literally, I retired Thursday evening. Uh, I had some virtual drinks with a lot of my old colleagues. And then Friday morning, I was working for Salesforce. So I've been here nearly, gosh, it'll be four years in uh, three months time. Time flies. Yeah, um, it does. 
As you said, I have the grandiose title of SVP Strategic Customer Advisor to the Office of the CEO. Uh, basically, that probably means I spend 30, 40% of my time helping people internally think through how to engage with big customers, mm -hmm. uh, what's on a customer's mind, what the C-suite is probably thinking, what's going on in the CIO's mind, and how we might help them be more successful through our products, our services, and obviously the Salesforce platform. Mm -hmm. um, the other 60, 70%, I'm out there, uh, <laughs> either talking at events, doing this sort of thing, uh, providing hopefully some thought leadership. You know, I always say, I don't have all the answers, but I have a lot of scars where I got it wrong yeah. and a few badges yeah. of where I got it right. Yeah. And let's face it, transformation, the more successful you are as a company, moving your company from where you are to be fit for a future that's happening and evolving faster and faster is not an easy task. So I'll happily talk about organizational design, transformation, people strategy, SAP, Microsoft, anything you wish, because <laughs> in my role at Salesforce, I'm trying to help you be successful. And it's a fantastic role, I think, to be doing at, at this time in my career. Excellent. And yeah. The other thing I've been doing, sorry, the other thing I've been doing is I'm now chair of the Institute of Coding and the Industry Advisory Board. And um, what we're doing in the UK is looking at people, trying to attract people from, let's say, disadvantaged backgrounds, uh, neurodiverse backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, and get them that first step of technical skills and then help them get into the workforce. Because boy, does the UK need more <laughs> skills there are great careers out there we've put over a million people th through our through our free training we're sponsored by government we're sponsored by private individuals uh, and i'm very proud to be doing that as well so i guess some of my new passion although i've always used you know had a passion around people is helping people get into an industry into a into that technology sector that that i've had a great passion about all my life and and thankfully have enjoyed all my life it, we just, I think we just can't keep you away from technology. You're the chair of the Institute of Coding, so it's better from punishment. Um, but I want you, um, at some point, dotted around this episode to share some of the scars you've mentioned in your role as the CIO. You know, in our, in our last conversation, we talked a fair bit about the role of the CIO, especially yes. in what was sort of described then was the new digital age. That's almost yes. seems dated now when you think about it. Yes. Um, a lot has happened since our conversation and I want to talk about the CIOs of today and perhaps end this episode with some future predictions from you, um, Craig. So let's look, talk about the CIO now. How, how has the role of the CIO evolved in the last two years? Normally this question is asked over a sort of a five, a 10, or even a 20 year period, but we are in an era of rapid change and most of us can't even keep up with it. So I suspect that a CEO of, a CIO, I should say, of two or three years ago has a different, if not a very different mindset to one today. If you can sort of explain, particularly in in response to the, the increasing importance of data in, in decision-making. I, I think I think the CIO role is getting increasingly tough. Um, I think the speed and the scale of change has been quite phenomenal in the last two to three years. Mm. Um, and I think I'm not saying it was it was it was less. Uh, how shall I put it? That that there wasn't a lot of change going on before. But when I think back to the beginning of 2023, I was doing a, a, a set of um, CIO thought leadership talks around Europe. January, February, we were talking about transformation. We were talking about um, this, this so-called new digital world, IoT, <laughs> cybersecurity. Nobody mentioned AI particularly. Yes. Nobody mentioned it. Then suddenly in March, I'm due to do another set. And it's, oh, my gosh. I've got to talk about AI because that's on everybody's lips and not just AI that perhaps I'm familiar with, but generative AI. Yes. And what is that really going to mean to people? Oh, and by the way, I've got to sound like I know more than they know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this learning curve that, that a CIO has had to go on in the last 12, 24 months is huge. And as a CIO now, really, the operational side, the reliability, the cybersecurity, the enhancement, all of that, your board just takes as, well, that's table stakes. We expect mm -hmm. that. 
We expect to be compliant. We expect to be secure. We expect to have a very high uptime. We expect you to have got the costs under control and very transparent. We expect you to have moved to the cloud because we know that's what you told us you were going to do to reduce our reliance on data centers and make our costs more flexible and all of these good things. Mm -hmm. But now they're looking for you to drive transformation in a way you've never done it before. Now, you know, I'm passionate about, there's really, I think, two types of CIO. There are those who are very operational and are extremely good at that. There are the ones who are more business-orientated, transformationally orientated. You have to have a CIO, I believe, these days, who understands enough about the operational side. He or she's got great people around them to make sure that works really well, but then they have to take the lead. They have to step up at that executive level, become a part of the business, be seen to be a value add to the business, not the old traditional view of you're a cost and a service. But I am a leader as you are. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring you thought leadership. I'm going to help you transform this business. And this is a tough challenge. And as you said, data, my God, it's all underpinned by data. Mm -hmm. And everybody is struggling with their 10, 20, 30 years of legacy where actually the data might be really good. You just can't get at it. You can't get at it to help somebody do their job. And when you go out there and watch people in the business doing their jobs, they spend too much time signing on to four or five different systems to pull information together before they can actually do the job. That isn't good enough. Hmm. So the pressure is on you, particularly coming out of a bit of an economic slowdown, particularly a time of a lot of instability. How do I become more efficient and effective in the business? But how do I at the same time drive that transformation? And that is not an easy agenda. And, you know, every now and then when I'm out there talking to CIOs, I get that desire to go back and be one. And, the, and then I get the thought of don't be crazy. Right. You've 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 done your bit. There's a reason you've got no hair left. You know, it's 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 time to still be a part of it, but to help those people be successful because it is not an easy role. Right. Just before I move on, you said there are sort of two types of CIOs. Yes. I'm wondering that's operational and transformational. Can you be both? I think you have to be both. Right? I think you have to be both. I think my point is a lot of people come up through the operational excellence side. Yeah. And then when they get thrust into this role, they're not always prepared for actually being the extrovert, being the thought leader, being the person who's challenging and pushing the business because they've been used to running a tight shop. And you've still got to do that. You know, mm -hmm. and, and when I was at Shell, I coined the phrase, we've got to reform and transform at the same time. I've got to sort out my legacy. I've got to sort out mm -hmm. the cost. I've got to mm -hmm. get all that running better. But at the same time, I've got to help the business transform. I can't say, sorry, Mr. CEO, can you give me three years and a lot of money and I'll sort the mess <laughs> up and we'll do some really cool stuff. No, you've got to do both at the same time. At a time when there's tough competition for funds, yeah. there's. There's a risk aversion. There's a desire to go faster. So you've got to think through the two sides of that. The danger is you, you get the CIO who thinks they're transformational, but they're really operational. Mm -hmm. And then they get a little bit stuck and it's not their fault. They've never been exposed to having to be a business person. And going on that journey, I see a lot more CIOs doing it now. I see a lot more CIOs reporting to the CEO. That is fabulous. Mm. For too long we were under the CFO or we were under somebody else. Yeah. And whoever it was, you didn't have quite the same status as, as the people you were trying to deal with because you were a lower level. Mm. It doesn't matter in all companies, but in the bigger companies, hierarchy matters a lot. I, I remember we talked about that specific topic about the CIO reporting directly to yes. the CEO in our first episode. Uh, that was brilliant content. And I urge my listeners to, I will put a link in this new episode description. Go back, have a listen to that. And I would say, by the way, like 50% of CEOs I speak to now, at least 50% are reporting into the CEO. And that is good news. Yes. The other yes. stat though I came across, which is interesting is CEOs, as they go up a company or they go through many jobs, they've yeah. worked in ops, they've worked in sales, they've worked in, in manufacturing, perhaps. Um, uh, they've worked in uh, marketing or whatever. Less than 1% have ever worked in IT. Less than 1%. <laughs> That's a big issue. Because with the best will in the world, and however good your CEO is, they haven't done the job they're asking you to do. They don't understand the full ins and outs of it. They can't because, as we all know, you can watch someone else do the job, but until you try yeah. and do it, you don't fully understand the difficulty of it. 
That percentage is pretty surprising. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, let, you know, looking back at your time as the CIO downstream at, at Shell, and then fast forward to today, I want you to answer this question, sort of what specific challenges and opportunities have emerged for CIOs in the energy industry in navigating, as we talked about, the data-driven landscape and the external influences? Well, I think I think if we look at that energy industry, they are going through a very tough change of their own. Uh, and top of my mind when you sort of asked me that question would be the move from traditional energy to new energy solutions, mm. a place they're not used to playing in, a different market, a different sales strategy, a different set of customers, a different way of putting together that infrastructure. You've got the whole emissions and emissions tracking. You've got carbon capture these days. You've mm. got the potential for big supply chain disruption. How do you get better, tighter with anybody who adds value to your supply chain? Anybody who adds value to your product and services, it comes down a very complex supply chain. How do you share data? How do you share information with them and work with them in a very different way than you have before? There's a whole question of energy security mm -hmm. and what governments and the public expect of you. There's societal pressures. People yes. want to see a transformation to a greener world faster than maybe is truly realistic. And that's part of the problem is the public and their perception and the public demands are not always in line with what the, the what the public believes it wants to get to a lower carbon world. Energy transmission costs, you know, doing that is going to be incredibly expensive. Billions, if not trillions of dollars need to be spent. And you're going to move to a lower lower profit future. And by the way, this is going to take decades. This is not quick. So as a CIO, I'm trying not only to keep up pace up to pace with the technology change, but keep up to pace with the speed of change that's going on in parts of that business. Mm -hmm. And how do I learn new skills and new business processes and new ways of working and then advise the business on how I can use technology to either speed that up or do that better? You know, you're making bets now on infrastructure, on IoT, on ways of working that you're going to set in place for a long time to come. Mm. And how's that technology going to? Yeah. And uh, based on what you said, I think at the start of. As everybody keeps saying, it's all very well talking about Gen AI and about better traditional AI models. But if the data's not there, you can't take advantage of it. And the planning scenarios are now getting a lot, lot more complex from a geopolitical point of view um, yeah. and from a societal point of view. And just from where is the technology going to go? Hmm. With, with an energy company, this is just an off the cuff question, actually. With, with an energy company, can you be profitable and sustainable at the same time? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I believe so. But don't think... You're, that the transition is going to come as fast as the public might think, because let's face it, we don't just burn oil. I'm again, you know, personally, I would like to see us reduce our our burning of carbon-based um, energy sources as fast as possible. But that's mm -hmm. not just where we use them. Just about everything in our lives is made from petrochemicals. Different parts of the world are going to move at different speeds. They don't have the natural resources in terms of solar, wind, or mm -hmm. or, or um, tidal that other parts have. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this movement, if you're not careful, moves you to slightly greener products, say an electric car. But if you're generating that power off the back yeah. of a coal-fired mm -hmm. power station, it doesn't help anyone. Yeah, exactly. It's a very complex thing to do. Yeah, excellent. But Thanks. you can do it. But I think this is part of the challenge, right? And we know what shareholders are like. The capitalist world is built to work in a certain way. Hence the question. So I, right. So I think this whole move challenges what we, the public, what role do we need to play? Is every single one of us doing our piece in trying to reduce our own personal carbon footprint? Because my belief about life is if you demand it, someone will supply it. And actually, I've got to look at my demand for these things because that will alter the supply because I decide to do things, live my life in a greener way. So it starts with me. And you can criticize government. You can criticize the big companies. But all the time there's a demand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that it, demand it, needs to be supplied or you're going to leave half the world without electricity. It, it's like the um, I think in some cases, I think somebody maybe flippantly said the sort of the stop energy protesters were there wearing fast fashion. So, yeah, there you go. 
you know, you as an individual need to to look at your own carbon footprint by way. I think you do. Yes, I think you do, and then you need to make choices based on your beliefs around that. Mm. Mm, excellent. Okay, we sort of slightly deviated, but let's get back on tracks. So, uh, this is back to um, let's look at you know the the proliferation of um, generative AI and other advanced technologies. How do you see the um, CIO's role evolving in terms of leveraging these tools for business growth and efficiency? I mean, should they be concerned at the potential change in the definition of their role, or should they celebrate this? Huh. Um, I, I, you know, you mentioned the previous podcast I did with you. I mean, I'm a strong believer that if it smells like, looks like, or tastes like IT, it should be done by IT. And too many times in my career, you think back to uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, suddenly everything was e-business or e-finance and <laughs> companies set up a, you know, a, a web or an e-area, e which was separate to IT because those terrible people in IT couldn't move e innovation, fast Innovation, I remember. Yeah, and all that happened was an awful lot of dollars were spent. It never really came to anything because when it was then passed to big IT to scale, they couldn't do it. It we we I think we saw the same thing happen with the rise of, you know, the chief digital officer or the chief technology officer. Yeah. Those people have a role, but don't set them up as a rival department to IT. Mm. because nine times out of 10, I haven't seen them work. I'm sure there's examples where they have worked and I can maybe think of one or two, but in general, you get two departments then who become rivals. Mm -hmm. One of them has to keep the company running day in, day out and is asked to innovate. The other one is just out there innovating on God knows what, on all sorts of different things. Oh. It will never scale. It will never be secure. It isn't based on, on the right principles to bring into the mainstream of the company. Mm. Now it's okay to test it out for innovation, but it's not okay if if you're then wasting millions and you're not actually finally able to deliver anything from it. So I'm a strong believer that your CIO has to step up and be seen as the person who is delivering digital, if you want to call it digital technology, but technology into the company. Mm -hmm. Everybody else works for them in some way. You can't have separate areas with separate rivalries going on. I just haven't seen it work. I think you have to get out there. You, you know, your team has to be seen as part of the business. And and let's face it, AI is not new. You know, if you read yeah. a lot of the articles, AI started in the 50s. My God, Alan Turing's model. He had a different name before, didn't he? Yes. Alan Turing wrote a paper on it, right? Of yes. where it might go and what might happen. And and you ended up going through a a whole series of things that started out with fairly simple machine learning algorithms. You then got into maybe a more deep learning. You got into neural networks. You got into all of that led to very good predictive AI. And, and all of that is fabulous. And we understand it. Yes. Now we've become pretty good at predictive AI. You look at that across many industries, manufacturing, supply chain, marketing, sales. Yes. Predictive AI is good. It's strong. How long has that been around? And all of a sudden, oh, generative well, AI seemed like it's been day one of AI. I would say 70s, 80s. Yes, exactly. Most exactly. big companies were doing predictive AI at that point. Yes, the processing power wasn't there to do some of the larger models that machine learning has burst, uh, basically done. And the neural networks, uh, maybe yeah. in the last sort of decade, really got going. Mm -hmm. It's the explosive power change that's made the difference. You know, mm -hmm. I would say generative AI is as spectacular a change as the launch of maybe the PC, of Windows, of the iPhone in 2007. This is probably because we've then seen a growth, we've seen things move to the cloud, but those things were around. The processing power required to do this now, as we know, if you've been following the share price of NVIDIA, mm -hmm. is quite spectacular. Mm. And, you know, generative AI, it is different, right? It's it's You see great things going on with with the AI we had across medicines, all sorts of things, yeah. the power of generative AI, of course, is to take that and visualize something more than the data than it started with. So, so you that, talk about, yeah, sorry, go on. That's, that's fantastic, because that leads me nicely into um, this sort of sub-question, because I, I sort of want you to, once again, you're back in as a CIO in Shell. I'm sorry I have to take you back there. But... Then, what, what, 
you know, um, in, in that sense, if you could share sort of example of your experience, Shell, where data-driven initiatives or the integration of generative AI would have had um, a significant impact on the business outcomes. If you could, if you could take us back there, if you had generative AI, how would that have changed a certain outcome in in terms or uh, an initiative back then? Well, I I think, you know, let's let's step back one and just. And just and just kind of remind ourselves, you know, predictive AI, its job was to learn from sample data and predict the future yeah, data. Yeah. You know, here's my manufacturing repetition. Yeah. Generative AI's job is to generate novel new data samples, which mm -hmm. are statistically similar because that's all it can do to its training data. Mm -hmm. But it's actually doing new things. And when I look at, you know, when we see what goes on with that. We see it generating these days, this new content, audio, video, images, coding, mm. text, simulations. It basically can understand your question and respond in a conversational manner or across any of those other particular sort of mm -hmm. media types. Now, when I look at Shell, and, and it doesn't have to be Shell, right? I, I, I mean, these yeah. are real examples from the work I do yes. every day. The biggest problem is the data. We've got that. Yeah, for, for all sorts of reasons. And I think you have to look at this use of AI as I'm not going to be able to go off there and solve world hunger. I can't ask it to do that because it can't find the data to do it within my, within my, uh, within my company. So let's start with the things where we know there's a lot of drudge work goes on. And there's so many industry examples now, so many stories, and I can talk more about those. But you think of the simple things. Um, I don't know. We're going to have this conversation and you're going to have to go away and write up your nice little pricey of some of the things we talked about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, you've got voice to text. You could drop this into a text file. You could send it to GPT and say, summarize for me. And it would. And it would probably come back with three or four very good paragraphs. And you yeah. might say, you know, Craig's style is a bit more chatty. Could you make this a bit more mm -hmm. chatty? And it would do it for you. That's quite a simple thing. And by the way, the important thing is I'm keeping the human in the loop because you're going to look at it. You're not just going to let it publish it. You are going to look at it and make sure it reads how you want. Mm. Now, you think of all the tasks we do every day where we read something, we summarize it. We we respond to an email and we have to go find other data to put into that email because we're trying to work out um, how best to do that. All of that can be done for us. Um, and we don't just send it. We look at it. Maybe we top and tail it with a bit of with a bit of Elaineism or a bit of Craigism. Right. Just to just to make it feel a bit more. But those are where you want to start out. And I think at Shell, there is so much opportunity for that. You think of a contact center. Right. A customer calls up. Uh, they ask about a particular grade of lubricant that they want to put in a particular uh, type of uh, vehicle that's going to operate um, next week in Norway. And they want to make sure they're going to put the right oils in for it because they're going to ship it across to Norway and they're going to run it. Actually, as a call center person, I have to do quite a lot of work now. I've got to work out, well, what's the temperature going to? Yeah, they've told me a temperature, but that's fine. Some of the examples I see running now in our customers alongside the contact center screen not only is the system saying, well, here's the right lubricant for that for that type of uh, type of kit, but it's also gone to look at what's the temperature in Norway next week. Oh, my God, it's it's going to be really cold in Norway. It's going to get down to minus 20, which I think I did hear on the news. I better recommend this oil. Mm. And, and, I, and it can frame that into a response for me that I can just yeah. drag, drop, click if I'm if it's a if it's a um, if it's a you know, text-based a messaging conversation I'm having, or I can read it out if it's a um, if it's a voice-based conversation, or I can email it to the person. But I'm not just saying, oh, it, uh, these oils A, B, C, they work at these different temperatures. I'm actually linking it to other data I now have that that the AI is looking at. I know the latest spec. I know what the temperature is going to be. Mm -hmm. Oh, you say it's going to do this job. Wow, it's going to be running for eight hours. Okay, that means you probably need this. It's bringing together information very quickly for me and then allowing me to give that to the person in a format they can digest. I'm not asking them then to think about it. I'm saying, hey, this is the temperature it's going to be. You said it was going to run for eight hours. Um, that would indicate these would be the best oils to put in. That's that is a game changing thing. I can even I can once I trust what the AI is doing, I can offer that online. I don't even have to talk to the person. It's more than time saving, isn't it? 
And you think about then going forward, I want to generate new types of fuels, lower mm -hmm. carbon fuels, maybe mm -hmm. fuels that, that, that burn better. I mean, we've read a lot on the drug discovery side, right, where generative models can suggest new molecular structures for drugs that have a desired property. You think about semiconductor materials, they're doing it there. You think about protein folding. I mean, that's mind bending that I think they'd looked at 20,000 proteins over the last decade. They threw the latest AI at it and it and it came back generating all the possible folding things that might work. And apparently it's running at 99% accuracy or something crazy across millions of them. Right. This is game changing. The way I should be able to innovate my products and services off the back end of this by training a model up that understands the properties and the properties I want. And then, as we said, it's not doing predictive now. It's generating ideas, generating new formulas, new molecules, new proteins, new drugs, new whatever off the back of what it's learning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is game changing. But to get to that point, you need data. So what, a lot of what I advise customers on is, look, let's go for the don't even think, you know, I, I probably talked to you last time about think big, start small, scale fast. Here we're talking more about crawl, walk, run. Let's get people's confidence in AI up a bit by doing some of the simple things, by doing intelligent automation around summarization, around emails, around marketing, mm -hmm. around sales. Right. Let, let's do some of that where. It's not, you know, when you look at trusted AI, as it's called, as, as kind of Salesforce terms it, mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of things that I basically want to be able to do because I want to be able to do it safely. Yeah? Mm -hmm. I want to be able to ground it in my own data. I want to be able to mask my data because I don't want to pass to a generative model that isn't my own stuff that is IP or that would get me into trouble on the GDPR mm -hmm. space. So I want to mask my data. I want to pass it across. I want it to come back with the response. I want a little bit of an audit trail on that response. Where did you find these things? Because we've also all heard the tales of it hallucinating as such, which is a great word because that implies it. it's it's alive in some way. Of course, it isn't. Um, it's merely put together facts in a way that are not correct. So, it, so how did you come to this conclusion? I want to unmask it and I want to check it for toxicity and mm -hmm. I want a human in the line. Mm -hmm. But I think the things that are going to change fast in companies, onboarding, education, right? You think about that, the time that's spent on that. I was going to ask you about that. Surely organizations have major education programs for the employees in this huge. space. I think it's not only going to change. engineering with a previous guest. So all these kind of stuff are, are yes. getting in place, surely. If I have somebody coming onto my property to do work, they have to have done HNS training. They have to, there's all sorts of things they've got to pass, right? Just yeah. to get on. Yeah. But I should be able to know what they've done before. I should be able to tailor that training to the job they're about to do. Not mm -hmm. because I've written loads and loads of stuff, but because the AI goes, oh yeah, they're doing this. They need that, that, and that bang. Mm -hmm. So yeah. But you so, think yeah. about ourselves, by the way, I think this is this has the potential to change the way we learn at school because we read about yeah. that. We're going to move into far more a world of lifelong learning, going back and constantly having refreshers. And this technology is going to be perfect for putting together something that I want that's personalized for me to take me on the next part of my career. I totally agree with you because, you know, previous technologies, previous developments, people have used the terminology game changer for that. But this is really the game changer across the board. And because that phrase has been used for previous technologies, it's almost sort of muted but this really is the game changer in terms of in terms of education, in terms of social, yes, everywhere, legal, financial. This is a complete I, game changer. I I did a panel the other week with uh, with a bunch of legal companies from uh, from London. That was fascinating. What's going on in the legal profession in terms mm -hmm. of this technology? Mm. You know, from from yeah. contract review that used to take hundreds of thousands of hours to something I remember that thousands of contracts in minutes. And say you need to look at this, this, and this because these clauses need to change. Yes, it's, it's completely changing the way. I mean, a, a, a typical legal individual will, through their time, will probably have a few thousand um, cases that they will can, you know, regurgitate. Whereas with this, we're talking about millions here. We're, you know, we're, you cannot compete. And you will generate. You know, if you think about the educational piece, it won't just be feeding me back stuff to read. It will generate a virtual person. Yes. that will hold the lesson with me yeah. 
right? I mean, I, I mean influencers. That's a fascinating one. Look up Ayatana, A I T I T A N A Lopez. Two hundred thousand followers, right? Mm -hmm. What they don't all know is she's not real. She doesn't yeah. exist. She's an AI, but she behaves exactly as the advertisers want. They're not going to catch a drunk at a rock concert, at the, you know. <laughs> This those will be the, the new real influencers <laughs> yes i mean we, we we had the the actors um i think they were on strike for a period weren't they? indeed in regard to that so it really is a game changer and, and this is a justified um technology shift where we really need to use that phrase i know we're sort of moving us slightly away from our topic but let me pull you back in a little bit yeah, pull me back to where you want me i'm pulling you back in back to cio um in, in, in terms of skills and competencies um, that is increasingly essential for the CIO with this era, can you just give us a, a flavor of what is now needed that probably never needed before in terms of the, the skills? Well, I mean, it's creating, yeah, it's creating a whole bunch of new jobs yeah. um, around compliance, around security, mm -hmm. around prompt management, you know, prompt, prompt, prompt uh, development. Then yes. you've got people who may be working on because some companies might want to build their own large language models. They might want to build their own mm. big scale AI models. That's a very expensive and difficult thing to do. And I think you're going to see a lot more of um, suppliers supplying a, a patient type of model or a manufacturing one or, you know, whatever, because it, it gets expensive to do these things and scale works, works better for you. But there may be reasons why you do want to build your own. I think on the other side of it, interestingly, as this starts to mature, and I think 2024 is going to be a bit of a breakout year for AI in some respects, because it will start to mature, um, mature more. You think of the number of people who work in data analytics, producing reports, producing stats around things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, now if I can just ask the machine to do that, it doesn't just give me a load of data back. It actually gives me textual summarization of what the trends are the data's telling me. Decision. Right. This is taking me to a decision point where I don't have to wait on some poor team in another part of the world to spend three weeks trying to work out where all the yeah. states pull it yeah. together for me. Yeah. It's doing it for me and it's doing it almost in pretty much real time, depending on the size of the data set. So I think you're going to see a move of jobs away from what, as I said before, is some of the grunt work. So those data people need to be retrained in a in a fuller way of how do I now use AI to get at that data? How do I ensure that data consistency? What about the uh, what about the compliance rules around it? Jobs will shift, but there's never going to be less jobs. I mean, that utopia to me is still a long way off. This is not oh, about. So you don't jobs. believe Musk saying that? No, no, <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe in a hundred or two hundred years time. But society has always shown that as te new tech has come in. So the job, so other jobs have evolved yeah. support yeah. of that tech or have become a spin-off because of that tech. Yeah. Now, do we move to a four-day working week? Well, I hope so. Do we lift a lot of people up out of poverty? Do we lift people to a higher level of job and life satisfaction? Yes, I yeah. hope so. But these things happen over time. It, it's never as fast as you want. And I think CEOs who, who stand up and say, oh, of course, I'm going to reduce the workforce 30%. Not only is that an incredibly demoralizing thing to say, but I just don't think it's true. I think you will go to compete on another level with another set of skills. And you know, just as we did at Shell, I think this is another CIO thing. You've got to look at your people's strategy and how you're going to work that. How do I prepare people for six months, a year, two years down the road? How do I take the jobs that I know are going away, maybe push those out to shared, uh, to manage services, to shared services, whatever, and then I retrain my people to the next set of tech? We've always been doing that, I think, but we're, we're having to do it as a faster rate. And maybe AI has a role in helping us do that. Okay. Yeah, I think let's continue talking about new jobs and new roles. Yeah. Um, in our last conversation, again, um, we talked about how the CIO works with other C-suites. And yes. at the time, the new kids on the block, you mentioned them in, earlier in this discussion, the new kids on the block, so the chief data officer, the chief digital, yes. Yes. the chief digital analytics officer. And now, but now we've got a newer kid on the block, the chief artificial intelligence officer. Yes. So how should the CIO work with this new kid on the block? Well, I would partly go back to my 
my first more flippant comment of what the hell is there a chief in, um, artificial intelligence officer because I'm not really too sure I know what that role is but I would say the CIO has to have a very close working relationship a trusted working relationship a very open and honest working relationship with anybody else who is C-suite mm -hmm. because well, I think, oh, come on, Craig. I think it's a bit of a cop out. It's insane that they have a, have a trusted relationship. If you people. don't, if you don't, you are never, ever going to get the full value from IT and you will never get your business to the level of performance it needs to get to. Right. Now, if somebody wants to set up some rival group that's going to do artificial intelligence over here, whilst you're doing IT over here, this is a repeat of history of all these other kind mm. of IT roles that were turned into something else in a separate department built. Because the, the, the chief artificial intelligence officer can do nothing without the infrastructure, without the data, and without the integration to the other platforms that are being run by IT. So it's got to be a close working relationship or it should be reporting to the same person sorry craig for interrupting but do you think this is this is like sort of an, a knee-jerk reaction with the the advent of new technologies you sort of get the rise yes. of the chief digital officer next minute we have generative ai the rise of the chief artificial intelligence yes. officer what's next the rise of the well, if anything, officer or something i would throw back to you that creating a chief artificial intelligence officer is a cop-out in its own right unless that person is going to do deep, deep research into new models that will be integrated back into IT. That's a completely different role. That's why I asked, what is the role? Mm -hmm. If I'm doing out and out research that is going to create me a new large language model around my industry, around my particular speciality, I could understand that being done somewhere else. I still think there's dangers from that, but I understand it. You know, if, if someone's doing research into... Uh, into new drugs in a pharmaceutical company, they don't work for the head of manufacturing because one day the head of manufacturing has got to produce that drug. Mm. Depends on the role and how it's set up. But my, I, my, my point is you have to be very careful because if you start empowering two people to do basically the same thing, that's when it goes wrong. Silos. Well, yes, but overlapping silos that become rivals to each other. Yeah. And and a lot of the good talent now wants to go and work for the chief digital officer or the chief artificial, because that's what sounds sexy. Yeah, the shiny new yeah. department, so to speak. But be careful, because history would tell me over my 30-year career, I've seen that happen numerous times. And it nearly, for most companies, it nearly always ends in tears. All right. So, so in the end, this is what you're saying, in the end, they're all going to come back under the umbrella of the CIO. Well, which, which and why I say it's a cop-out is, are you doing that because you don't think your CIO and his his or mm. her team are good enough? Or, you know, we're a bit worried about Craig. We're not sure Craig's, Craig can really drive this new stuff. Let's, let's create somebody new to do that. Or are they well, trying to inject some kind of youth or something into it? Well, I, I go back to if you have the right CIO, if you have the right CEO, if you have the right CMO, if you have the right whatever, those people should be the 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 people you need to drive your company into the future. If you set up a rival to them, what are you really saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Thank you for that. Um... We can't have a conversation today about new technologies um, without the crucial topic of security. So how does the CIO balance the need for innovation and the integration of cutting edge technologies with the importance of data security and privacy, especially in industries with sensitive information? Well, I think the most important thing here is you build as a CIO you build a strong both software and hardware infrastructure with the right platform providers, et cetera, where that security is, is, is by design. And this is why, again, your chief if, uh, artificial intelligence officer can be a danger because they don't necessarily understand or appreciate what it takes these days to secure a, a regional or a global company. I mean, any size of company, clearly. But the more you get outside of your own country boundaries, we all know the harder that becomes. So you have to have a very strong CISO working for you. You have to have a strong information mm -hmm. risk 
management um, uh, division, probably a part of that. You have to have a, a strong compliance part of that. Mm -hmm. And anything you do has to be looked at in the in the guidelines of what has to be what is the 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 level that is required for that type of data as specified by by that CISO outfit and that doesn't stop innovation there's many platforms you you, you can do wonderful innovation on but at the end of the day if it's going to move beyond being the minimum viable product or the prototype it's got to conform to the standards mm -hmm. and and this is where I saw these chief digital officers and transformation officers and probably now, now undoubtedly chief artificial intelligence officers fall foul because they build something that, yeah, it's really cool, it's really good, but I can't possibly run it at scale for this company because it's not secure. Mm, mm. It, it, it hasn't been designed with GDPR in mind. It hasn't been, you know, all of these things come out because this other team is obsessed with running fast and doing what's cool <laughs> this is being a little unfair, but they don't have the problem of bringing it in and yeah, running yeah, to the business. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And and the regulation, let's face it, is moving fast as well. And the cyber problems are getting bigger and bigger, particularly in the end, in any form of the energy industry. Mm. Well, uh, regulation is usually lagging behind. So it's kind of used to say that they're moving. Well, <laughs> and, and I think regulation around AI is an interesting one. Right. It You can't regulate. <laughs> Okay, careful what I say, right? But Craig's view is you can't regulate AI. You have to regulate the uses of AI. You know, it's a bit like saying when we invented the wheel, well, this is pretty dangerous. I'm going to regulate the wheel. No, no you're not. The, the, the wheel is an amazingly useful thing from, from driving energy from a water wheel to wheels on a vehicle to wheels on 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 my trolley to wheels on my whatever right mm -hmm. but if i want to put those wheels on a tank well maybe i want to regulate who has a yeah. tank because yeah. it's a weapon it, it's it can be used in a bad way you can argue a car could be used in a bad way as well but essentially i should be regulating the thing it is used in not the thing itself so, so for you yeah, to does that make that, sense? Yes, I know. For you to say that, you you must be seeing people saying AI should be regulated. For you to oh, say, definitely. oh, I see that every day in the press in the right, industry. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, and I think it's not. It's no, no thing in itself. It, it is what needs to be regulated. It's the use to which it's put needs to be regulated. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's difficult. And for governments, well, A, as you talk about, there is always a knee-jerk reaction to new technology. The regulation should be who and how, really, rather than yes. what. So that's yes. what you're saying. Yes, I think so. But maybe in a more subtle way. But yes, you're right. Um, it, you know, we want people to innovate. We want to drive this technology forward. Unfortunately, the public has been fed over the years an awful lot of um, Hollywood films where the AI runs a mock. Uh, so that's not good. Um, but but again, it was not the AI that was the problem. It was the use to which it was put. You know, mm -hmm. we see amazing things going on in, in as I've talked about before, medicine, in, yep. in, in pharmaceuticals, in patient care. AI has tremendous, tremendous opportunity. Let's not stop the move forward, but let's make sure it's used in the right way. Yeah. Okay, we will see about that. Um, regulations catching up at some. <laughs> okay, I'm going to once again drag you back to the role of the CIA. I'm sorry, Craig, but I really want to talk about no, that's fine. this. Um, let's look at something closer to home to you um, for you, Craig, and, and this is within Salesforce. Um, sort of what behaviours, you know, work delivery practices and, and management approaches have you observed among CIOs within Salesforce that could be, this, this is a crucial part, that could be implemented for the greater good in the energy sector? Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's 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 a very interesting question. Um, what have I seen in... What so have now I seen you're an observer, aren't you? So, well, as opposed to, a, in, in terms of I, the role of the CIO, you're, you're now an observer. And I think there's so, probably four things maybe that come to mind that I've learned at Salesforce. I, 
I, and you could say I've always believed some of these anyway, but I think it's been brought more home to me. I think a lot of this, what is required now is it's about the culture and alignment on goals that deliver clear business metrics. So I think coming into Salesforce, one thing that's very clear to me is from Mark Benioff down to whomever, there is a strong alignment on what we're trying to achieve and why we're trying to achieve it and how we're going to measure it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of, of, of companies I've worked with, or certainly Shell, that alignment is not always as hard as that. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's not, I can read Mark Benioff's, uh, uh, we call it a V2 mom. Um, uh, that's the name. Of, I won't go into that now. Mm -hmm. But I, sh I should be able to read his and read anyone else's in the company and go, oh, yeah, I see the connection. Right. Mm -hmm. The section, the, the, the second one, I think, is a lot of people talk about functional excellence. I actually think it should be functionally good enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> a lot of big companies get very obsessed with functional excellence. The trouble is sometimes you get so excellent at something, you forget why you're trying to do it. Mm -hmm. The focus is on the business, on customer satisfaction, on innovation, on trust, on sustainability. Those things matter to me. So I'm really focusing on those. So what's good enough for me to be able to deliver those? I don't have to be the world's best HR department or the world's best finance department. I have to be good enough to deliver the results that are expected and that I'm measuring myself by, you know, my core values. Mm -hmm. The third one I would say is the architecting of things, of the way you put together your solutions and your data is so, so, so important. I knew this at Shell, but when you work in a large software company that is producing an incredible platform, that underlying architecture and data that's that's tough. And getting that right, particularly when you do acquisitions as well, getting people onto that one view of the data, because if we don't have that one view of the data, we will never make AI work, is incredibly important in this fast moving agile world. Mm. Being able to build that and explain that is very important. So so culture being functionally good enough and architecture. And then I think the other thing I think that I see in Salesforce that, that always impresses me. We had thousands of people working on AI before I really worked out what AI was about to do, right? Is how do you get ahead of the trends? Not only in the technology, but how do you get ahead of the next big business idea? So you've already started to think about how you will deliver that before the CEO asks you for it. Mm. And I think those four things, again, I go back to why I think being a CIO is an incredibly hard job. Yeah. I, I would put those as top of my mind, having now been in Salesforce for a while. All right. Okay. Thank Makes you. Sense. Yes, it does. It does indeed. That's pretty comprehensive. Thank you for that. So we've covered quite a bit in terms of the CIO of today and what's happening. Let's um, move to these lots of last two questions about CIO of the future or future activities in that space. So now, now we're shifting into the future, but, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Anne. Given your experience, are there specific industries or sectors where you foresee the role of the CIO being particularly transformative um, due to the integration of generative AI and, and other data-driven technologies? I, I don't think there's any, you know, I work globally across all industries. You know, this year, uh, I think I've spoken to over 240 different, different customers. Mm -hmm. And... I think the interesting bit is the challenges and the opportunities, whatever industry you're in at their basic level are pretty much the same. All industries rec see that society, you know, going back to what I said earlier, society, supply chain, customer demand, the expectation of your customers, of your suppliers, of anybody who works with you to deliver that value that that, that, that your company is bringing to the market, expect to work with you in a, in a much more open, yet integrated and connected way where information is shared, where there are no surprises, where you're all working towards that one common goal mm -hmm. of, 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 of supplying a need. Yeah, be that a, a, a non-for-profit need or a, or, a, or, a, or a commercial need or a public services need, right? Um, the technology 
as we see it today, is hugely transformative. So how can we bring that together? The biggest challenge is it, it's, it's, it's the data. I have it, but how do I unlock it? How do I analyze it? How do I turn that data into real information and give it to people at the moment they're trying to do the job? Be they somebody in front of an asset, somebody selling to a customer, someone running running a retail store, someone about to have a conversation with a supplier, a conversation with an employee. How do I make that part of the job easy so they can do the pleasurable value add human side of the job? Mm -hmm. um, and I think whoever you look at, the recognition is, boy, have I got to move into these areas. Mm -hmm. And often the 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 business and particularly the IT department are sometimes a little bit paralyzed about, well, where the hell do I start? I, I mean, I'm, I, I've got all these demands. I've got all this movement in the technology area. Where do I start? And I think you have to be bold. You, you have to be bold. You have to de-risk. But, but, but I very much talk about this think big, start small, scale fast, right? There are parts of your business that are hurting. There's new people in the business, maybe new, as you said, young, young people coming and going. There has to be a better way of doing this. There has to be a different way to work. OK, let's go do it with them. Let's go do it with five, 10, 12 people who really want to work in a different way, want to do something different. And I'm going to support them culturally, um, uh, emotionally to try that out. If it doesn't work, hell, I've spent a few tens of thousands. It's not the end of the world. If it does work, if I've built it on the right platforms, I've configured, I haven't coded, I've, I've built my API layer, I can now scale it fast and I will start to transform my, transform my company. And that's the same with the generative AI piece, right? How do I bring that in? How, how do I, as a CIO, as a team, keep that thought leadership? How do I drive that forward? Mm. How do I ensure the security, as you said, of things? You know, I I think there there is so much opportunity for companies now, so much opportunity. Part of it is trying to step back one and envision that new world, envision where I could go. As as Mark Benioff always said, bring a beginner's mindset. Why why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we achieve that? Why couldn't we change ourselves into this? Instead of the usual approach of thinking of all the reasons why I can't. Let's think of all the reasons why I can and why I should. Because I don't think as a CIO, you've ever had a better set of technology available, a more exciting time yes. to be yes. transforming, yes. whatever that word really means, transforming yeah. the culture of your, own, of your own department, transforming the business that you are, that you are now an integral part of. It can't do anything without you. How do you get the trust? How do you get the funding? How do you get the new ways of working that are going to enable this new picture to come to life? And I think, you know, a lot of that to me is about a new people strategy as well. Mm -hmm. IT has given away a lot of people. You know, a lot of people have downsized and pushed a lot out to third parties and, and, yeah. and managed services. And a lot needed to be outsourced, infrastructure, desktop, data centers. We, we, we don't have value there. Put it to the people who do it at scale. But... How do I attract new people? How do I get new people into my organization? How do I drive things in a different way? How do I get my core systems back to what they're really good at and then go for it around the edge, get, get that data exposed and start to create new business models that we simply couldn't have done two, three years ago? Yeah, I think it's a fantastically exciting time. You know, Craig, um, with your 30 year, 38 years in IT, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, sorry? That's joking. <laughs> yes, I, I'm pretty impressed with your beginner's mindset. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably why I do the job I do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Okay. Um, let's end this this epic yeah. conversation on Edstor with this question. Um, I'm looking for foresight um, from you here, Craig. So just paint a picture. I'm going to sit back and listen to you and I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to imagine this. Paint a picture of the future for the chief information officer, sort of encompassing both positive and negative aspects. Well, I, I think that future for the CIO is you are, I am. Let me say this as I. I am sitting there on the executive team as a proper member of the executive team. I'm not there because I'm IT. I'm there because 
I am someone who has the the leadership presence, the intellectual presence to be a part of that top team. So I'm not just asked to work on IT things. I'm asked to work on other things as well as anybody else at that at that at that level is. I'm bringing to that team thought leadership, creativity and ideas. I'm helping them understand what the art of the possible is and where it might go. And indeed, what are the suppliers doing? Where's the state of the art? What are, what's the competition thinking about? I have a team under me that is now made up, is a much bigger department than I used to have because I've now brought IT back in, in, in house. It is that important. Yes, I'm still gonna have my third party systems integrators there because I'm never gonna have all the thought leadership I want or all the numbers I want but I've brought back, I've created an IT department that has proper careers, that is a respected professional line within whatever business I am. Um, my people are close to the business. They are looking closely to understand that business. They are as sold into the P&L of that business line as the marketing director, the truck driver, the head of the networks, the head of manufacturing, because they need to be because we're not there to do IT for IT's sake, we're there to drive a business. And I think you, you need innovation, you need a different culture. IT people have to wake up to the fact that, yeah, they're technical specialists, but they're there to create business value, business wealth, and that's what's front of their mind. Um, I think that world You've got to make time for yourself. You've got to understand you need a learning culture. You've got to make sure you've got career paths, but that your people are, are encouraged to learn because this whole world is moving so fast. You mm. can't just sit back and enjoy what you enjoy doing. You've got to learn. You've got to learn about the business. You've got to learn about the tech. You've got to learn about yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's where I say this lifelong learning will take on a completely different thing. You know, I could see a day when what's the point of going to do a four-year degree course? By the time I get to year yeah. four, I've learned yeah. in year one as it's out yeah. of date. Yeah. So the whole way in which we think about our careers and the way we work as CIOs has to change. I expect people to do sabbaticals. I expect them to go off and work for another company. I expect them to go away for a year and learn some new skills that are going to be valuable to us. Mm. Mm. It, we, we have to change and we've got to change quite fast. Or we, or we will see a lot of traditional businesses, I think, wither on the vine and die because they simply can't keep up with what's happening. They simply can't keep up there. Mm. It's, it's different from years gone by, isn't it? Because we, we always yes. talk about change. You even have change managers. But we always talk about change. But that was over a long period. We could take it was that, over a longer period. Think and about we it. We could argue that. whether we should change or not. But now we haven't got, we haven't got the time to argue about whether we should change. Uh, no, and I think the more successful you are as a company, the harder it is to change. And the more tenure people have in your company, the harder it is to change. Mm -hmm. And this is why the energy industry now is having to wake up to a very different set of views. But they're not the only ones. Banking, fintech, yes. health, pharmaceutical. You, you could go through the whole list Everything. and we could sit here and do a whole episode on why have they got to change? They're um, all exactly. solutions. It would be interesting to know which one do not have to change, but, but we know all of them have to change. So, you know. Yes. So it, that's the case. Oh, thank you for that. You know, Creed no, was, was that okay? I was yes, trying to, yes. I'm yeah. not sure I didn't just repeat myself. Sorry. No, you didn't. You didn't. You, you covered quite a bit. I've, just for the record, because I know I'm going to be asked this. Um, there's always some some smart so and so say, "Don't you didn't <laughs> ask this question?" Um, what's the difference between chief information officer and chief technology officer? <laughs> Who knows? I. I it are, they, are they the same thing, just a slightly different? Well, in my view, they should be. Again, what you a chief technology officers have different roles, as do chief information officers, by the way. Mm -hmm. So it's not always the same um, standard, uh, uh, you know, job description. But I go back to asking: if you think you have to set up some subsidiary of IT under a different person, what does that say about your current <laughs> IT department? <laughs> are you actually solving a symptom rather than the root cause? I've never looked at it like that, but that's very because quite often I've seen the chief digital officer or the CTO reporting to the CEO and the CIO is still reporting to the CFO. Well, what does that tell me? 
um, a, a change is needed. That's what it tells you. I think it does, right? I think it that organisation sooner rather than later. You know, but th but this is tough. This is this is hard stuff, and and don't just think your CIO is going to magically get this. Because the other thing I would say about your CIO is how have you tried to train them? Right, a lot of IT people are introverts to start off with. If you look at the, you know, that's a little bit of a generalization, but I think in yeah, mm -hmm, you would mm -hmm. find it's greater mm -hmm. than fifty percent. You may have sent them on the standard company training courses, but maybe you need to do more than that. Yeah. What about mentorship? What about the networks they have? How are you as a CEO helping your senior team get even better? These, these are questions that we will answer in the third <laughs> part of my discussion with Craig Walker. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think we'll give it a year. And, and I think what we'll probably do, if you're willing, we'll give it a year um, after this episode. And then we will just I'll just say one thing and we will just talk and let's just see where it takes us, because you're going off in sort of a transformative change in the legal system. You're going off in the education. I thought it was fantastic. And I, and I had to pull you back, but I didn't want to because I wanted I'm to sorry. go down that road. I do have that, to apologise. No, but that's great because it generated questions in my head. But I know I can't ask those questions because I will not get back to where I need to go to, to talk. But it's once again, always... Craig Walker, always great to talk with you. Always a joy, always informative, always massive, fantastic content. You know, many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you, Elaine. Always a pleasure as well. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.